1: Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, I sat down with Kobe Fitzgerald of Chalais, Washington. We get into duck and coyote hunting, his outdoor life, and being a commercial fisherman on the Bering Sea. Enjoy the episode. So we're on with Colby Fitzgerald. Colby, thank you for sitting down with me, man, and uh, sharing your story. Why don't you just jump right into it, man? Give us some, uh, some background on yourself. So
2: I'm just uh, a hunter from Chehalis, Washington. Uh grew up hunting my whole life and love it to death. I mean grew up fishing before I could hunt with my dad. And then once I could carry a gun about six or seven, I started hunting. So,
1: so kind of funny, right? So let's let's talk about the story about how you got an episode, man. We were just kinda you know off record a second ago so you were you are a uh fisherman right you're running that Bering Sea um listening to the podcast shot a message after you listened to the One Rate Gear episode why don't you give us a little background man on how you uh ended up sitting here with me
2: yeah so I I listen to podcasts um man when we're in Accutane we get good wi-fi so I'm down I'm I'm downloading podcasts from, I mean, everybody, everybody I can get my hands on from Spotify. And I came across, I seen that, uh, Joel was gotten, he met, you mentioned him on Instagram. So I, I looked into him and did all that and message him. If I could get, if he had a availability on Spotify and then, yeah, I, we started talking a little bit about what I do up there and mentioned earlier about wheel watches. I mean, every wheel watches, every crew member has a four hour wheel watch during the night so the captain can sleep. And when it's nice out, you know, when it's, when it's not 15 to 30, 40 footers, I listen to podcasts. So it's nice and relaxing and jot down ideas, gear. I mean, Different sites like Black Ovis or anywhere I could find stuff. And yeah, that's, I mean, it's kind of funny, but. (laughs) And here we are. (laughs) Yeah, here we are.
1: That's pretty cool, man. I just, for me, it's about, it's about you guys, right? It's about, you know, those, those stories, right? The, the makeup of the hunting demographic, the community, man. So I was, I'm pretty intrigued, man, about your life on those trawlers there. And, um, you know, wanna hear some more about that um, and then you know Joel, anybody that's back in Joel with one rate gear, man, that's a salt of the earth gentleman right there, so I felt it uh yeah, felt this would make a pretty good episode, man, so why don't you give us man? how did your two thousand eighteen season go?
2: uh, two thousand eighteen for hunting was at first i was I was pretty shaky i we had shipyard in Seattle here, so. Well, up there, a little bit, 100 miles south of Seattle. So we had a three-month shipyard starting in October. We got in the week before deer hunting hunting started here. So I was kind of shaky. I couldn't make any plans to Idaho to go over there. I missed the opportunity to go to Montana to hunt with my cousin, uh, Jeff Berg, over there. So it was at first, it was kind of... Shake at it know how much I could get out. And then along with duck hunting, duck hunting and cow hunting, uh, ended up a lot better than I anticipated. So the first opening day deer season, I was able to take a, I mean, it was a monster two point by any means, but I shot the first deer I seen. So about 30 minutes into hiking in this timber where I grew up out in the valley uh two little bucks were playing around and i picked a bigger of the tiny ones (laughs) and shot them and and, uh yeah elk hunting i've been watching the herd on my actually ironic but the place i do most of my duck hunting wasn't too much water this year by the from the rains and stuff and the fields were still pretty dry, and there was a whole herd hanging out for a while. And they'd go up in the timber and then be gone for a week or two, and then come back down. And muzzleloader, I haven't, I, I didn't buy a modern tag yet, so I didn't know the shipyard if I could hunt. So I uh, was gonna buy a muzzleloader tag the last day because they were out in the field, and I decided not to. So. Modern open day, I went out in the valley, same area I shot my deer. There's a couple good herds out there, and nothing so about noon, I just strolled by that field and sure sure thing there a couple bulls there's three legal bulls and six bikes out there, so stopped and asked my buddy and then we uh kind yeah Joe. it's called pleasant valley road there's it's pavement and then there's a huge 350 acre uh field out there. So from the road it was about 6 700 yards out there so we had to army crawl and I got in about 200 around 200 I think it was the last time I ranged. And then yeah, I just waited for him to stand up. We got him open in the morning too. So deer and elk went went pretty good and then uh yeah bear I didn't get on been having a pretty one of the biggest bears I've seen haven't seen a lot around here just because of brush I don't sit and use a spotting scope to check out bears so I had a bear on my dad's for a while and I never got it's just too thick and I don't run a tree stand or nothing I like to hook it and kind of impatient. So, Most of <laughs> that's the a song. downfall for me. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, but that tree stand hunting, man, I've talked to several guys and I'm a bit intrigued by it, but uh, I don't know if I have the patience, man, to to sit like that. It it would drive me crazy.
2: Yeah, I got I got a couple two or three buddies around here that they tree stand hunt for deer and it's just like, I mean, in my eyes like I I get it, you know, they they move too, but I'm want to get on track and and then act like a predator and go after them then and i'm i mean since i started deer hunting i 8 i've been pretty pretty successful i'd say
1: yeah that's uh yeah i can sit in glass for hours man but i i don't know something about the tree stand some of those guys man they get up there 30 40 feet man and yeah i don't know not much yeah
2: deal. And then, I mean, I've heard, listen to podcasts this last couple of years so much, being up there, I heard so many, you know, stories about people accidentally falling out. I mean, I heard, I can't remember who it was, but I mean he fell out and was, I mean, he was stranded, you know, he broke, I don't know how much on his body and he just couldn't move I mean he didn't have self service or nothing finally somebody came looking for him but other than the it's not really too dangerous I guess but I just like you said I don't have the patience for it I'd like to be a predator not a not a cat sitting in a tree
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple guys that are listening to this right now getting pissed off we're talking about tree stand hunting and laughing about it sorry Dan Trout.
2: Oh man, I just I just grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, we I get it down. I've never hunted, you know, down anywhere past Montana to south southern states. I just I haven't done it, so I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of guys that run stands here, but I'm not a bow hunter because my my beard gets in the way. So every time every it catches, it might be the Hoyt. I mean, I know the Hoyts miss, always do the. Down to low action, so that's probably what it is. But so you have a a, a,
1: oh, sorry, man, I didn't mean to cut you off.
2: Oh, you're fine.
1: You have a a passion for uh, some predator control as well, right?
2: Oh yes, yes, sir, I do. (laughs) It's uh, I mean, growing up, coyote hunting was different. You know, I'd never thought about going out at night or sitting around. I mean, I've had reads, I've had distress calls for years, but I mean, like, again, it comes back to patience. When I was younger, I never, I was all about, I mean, I'd see coyotes, I shot, I don't know how many growing up, but I never sat and called, like, thinking about, I could do this just like I can sit and call ducks or I can sit and call... Elk, deer, whatever—I never thought of that aspect of coyote hunting until, I mean, a couple years ago. It's—it's it's probably, I mean, it's the funnest, the most fun I've had calling animals for sure. Is coyote hunting because they are so—I mean, they're—they're <laughs> they're smarter than a lot of people think, that's for sure. And they become educated quite, quite fast.
1: Yeah, I heard that. I heard that saying I talked to uh, Caleb Newton. He owns County Six Predator Calls and okay, uh, yeah. he was you know, he runs I forget the name of it, um, but he runs one of the bigger coyote calling competitions, you know, in the in the nation here. And he was telling me, man, those guys are calling in. I think he said uh, last year the dudes called in like uh, 36 coyotes in in 24 hours and laid them down. I was like, wow, that's yeah. crazy, man. That's a, that's a lot of animals in that amount of time.
2: Yeah, that's that's just, uh, that's some serious, I mean, we have, well, no, I shouldn't say we, because I've only been a part of one. I mean, we went out not last night, the night before, but got a dog, and that was the only one being seen in the field. I mean, we called, but around here, it's the it's air pressure. If it's the air pressure and I learned that from my buddy, Cody Sanchez. I mean, I never thought about that. until he mentioned it. It's just about if the air pressure is over 30, they're not talking. They will not speak at night or they will speak and they don't want to move from the den. And it's just, it's crazy because the other night that's exactly how it was. The one we did kill was a, uh, this year's pup. So it was, yeah.
1: Yeah. I've heard that, that, barometric pressure deal with uh in the elk world as well um calls not carrying out as far i've never heard them you know staying silent about it but that's uh yeah that's something else man It's something that i want to explore more and more is is you know getting serious about it well i don't know serious but you know spending more time doing it so uh let's talk a little bit man about uh fishing the bearing man i'm intrigued by it um It's not a, uh, that's enough, that's a rough nut to crack, right? I mean, that is a dangerous occupation. I mean, you guys are putting in hours and hours. I mean, you're talking 20, 30-foot seas, weather like you wouldn't believe. Why don't you give us some of that, man?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, Bering Sea is, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely what usually you see on Deadliest Catch. I mean, there's obviously pros and cons, and Nowadays, 2019, the the pros are a lot, a lot more. I mean, there's not people getting hurt as much as back back when they had open access for crabbing and all that. And uh, the Pelagic trawling has really came, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what year they started midwater fishing. I mean, Pelagic means the midwater nets we use, so we don't touch bottom too often. I mean back when they first started plegic, well not plegic, but trawling, they the captains thought the fish were they're gonna dig the fish out of the ground. So they they'd pile the net up on the bottom and just rip up, you know, there's a lot of a lot of work back then and a lot of stuff was cable and just came a long ways with technology and spectra and just, yeah, but that's just, I mean, a little aspect of it. Uh, the seas, yeah, it's, it, it gets pretty, pretty gnarly out there. And I mean, I've definitely thought, what am I doing at times? You know, why do I want to be out here in this, this stuff? But I do have a great captain and I fish for a, a good company and try to see foods and the technology we are able to have on the boat because of trident and because of i mean technology in general i mean we can see we have uh, i mean NOAA apps You can use them for anything but we can see i mean weather for 15 days ahead of time and exactly when and where the waves are going to come and I mean, we have good technology on that aspect. Mm -hmm. So you got some warning,
1: so you can kind of run, run away from it a bit.
2: Yeah, and I mean, if it's over, I mean, twenty-five footers. There's not nobody's going to be out in that fishing. It's just there's no reason to be out there. We have a quota, and it doesn't matter if it takes us all year. If it, I mean, we have A and B season, so that runs from January to. Roughly beginning April, mid-April. And then we have off until June 5th. We go back up. On my boat, particularly, we uh, we sit in Bristol Bay for a month and tender uh, sockeye and king salmon there from the gill netters. So we sit on anchor, and they, de- they deliver to us. And then we take it to a uh, mothership. So... And then we finish our B season pollock. After that, so I think we have uh, a little over, a little under ten million pounds to put in for B season. Wow, that's a lot of fish,
1: man! So there's what like six species or so that you guys are commercially fishing up there.
2: Um, we're we're um, we just go to we fish for straight Alaskan pollock. I mean, we yeah we pull up if if they're low on the bottom, if they're not, I mean, within a couple of fathoms of the bottom, then, uh, yeah, we'll pull up some cod, some different Pacific cod and some other stuff. But our bycatch is, uh, I mean, it's usually jellyfish, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not like a lot of people think we're pulling up halibut and stuff. We have, a uh, certain amount of salmon we can catch a year. We have 252 this year, total kings in all. So I mean, oh, a, out no, of a no. twenty, out of a twenty million pound uh, season, we catch 252 kings. So I mean, and we usually don't catch that much. We stay away from them. Well, that's good though,
1: right? I mean that that's so. that kind of plagued that industry for a while was the bycatch, and you know. Um, that's probably why that technology changed right to a point, um, is people fighting that, that, uh, that industry.
2: And yeah. I mean, probably uh, done the
1: fishery, some good too, right. It's not as rampant and probably hurt some guys at the same time, but you know, protection of that, uh, that ecosystem is pretty important.
2: Yeah. I mean, back, back then when they didn't have pelagic nets, they were, I mean, you should see some of the old nets that just have, for the bottom gear around their chains, they just have giant tires and rubber and a whole bunch of stuff just so they don't shape on the bottom, you know, and break their chain and cable. Just, yeah, it's definitely came a long way. And then, I mean, the, our sonar system and then our trawl ice I mean, we can see literally the fish go into the net if we have the right uh, hookup. So most boats don't have them but in the trident fleet there's a few so i mean it's it's pretty cool so
1: how does it i have to ask the question bro i'm sorry how does it compare <laughs> to what we're seeing on on the tv show there man
2: oh man i it's kind of hard for me i get that question a lot but it's just it's hard for me to say because i'm not a crabber you know i've never been on a crab boat and i'll never step foot on a crab boat and I I I catch crap because we're I mean, I started saying and I saying for squid down in California for a while from Santa Cruz area down to well, I was about half moon bay down to San Bernardino. I mean not San Bernardino, what am I thinking? Uh where's that? San Pedro. So that whole stretch there, I did that for about five months. And when I went up to Alaska with my buddies and Bunnies buddies were calling me they call everybody drag fags because we're just we don't work you know they we don't do anything on we don't have to do long lining i mean we don't have to do too much except for you know set and haul but there's a lot of stuff that there's a lot of stuff that we have to do that a lot of other boats or other fisheries don't as in like gear work i mean there's nets in there. <laughs> they're huge, you know, and they have to be exactly the same length on each side. So we're not pulling sideways or the net's collapsing. And just, I mean, it's just a lot of measurements and it's, it's fun, but <laughs> it's a headache at some, at some point, but
1: I can't, well, for me, man, I can't imagine the amount of time you spend at sea, right? Three, four months at a time that has to take a toll on you mentally at some point.
2: Yeah, and it definitely does. And we, I mean, uh, how I deal with it is, I mean, when we go to Dutch, it's very seldom we deliver to Aquitaine. And Aquitaine has about, I want to say their population is about 120 max, maybe 100. And um, our plant, when the plant's full and running, there's about two to 3,000 people there in the plant. So. When I'm there, I just think about, I mean, get my job done on the boat before I get in or right when I get in. So I have to do all the food ordering. and it doesn't sound like too much, but for six guys, everybody cooks every three days. We rotate. So it's kind of kind of hectic being the youngest guy and not getting the right sauce for a <laughs> 55-year-old man, you know? So... <laughs> Just stuff like that, but I mean, I try to work out as much as I can. I have a little workout station down on the labs, and then yeah, if it's nice out, I'm I'm hiking. I'm I'm going up the mountain. So I mean, that brings us back to the one rate gear. I ordered that stuff so I could I could try it out. I'm, I like the camo. It's an awesome idea. Something I never really. Well, obviously nobody's thought about. Mm-hmm. That's and, what I'm talking uh, about it. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I mean, yeah. I ordered the pants and decided on a couple crappy days coming in when it's snowing and blowing. One day I I went out. It was blowing forty, fifty knots. I mean, snowing sideways to get my lines out and buoys out and stuff and. I mean, I was hot in that, in those early season pants, you know, I was sweating, not really on the sweating side, but yeah, I was definitely warm. And, uh, I mean, I kept dry. They were, they were awesome. Yeah. That's good, man. I mean,
1: so I, uh, my boy's just getting back in to getting out in the woods with me, man. He's excited to go after elk this year. Um, so I put him in some of the, some of the one rate and, uh, yeah, was I've been impressed, man. Since I saw him in Utah, with the uh, with the build on them and just the quality of it, and then that pattern, um, like you said, is something, you know, something that's just unique, man. And the story behind it is just, you know, how can you not how can you not dig it? So to hear that it's standing up to the elements you're putting them in, man, that's a that's a big deal, man. It means I'll be happy with that purchase.
2: Yeah, and I mean that's, I mean. I, Being, just testing it out in Alaska. I mean, it's, I haven't, I use the quarter, I mean, the long sleeve I have just underneath my ring gear. So I usually run just a long sleeve underneath ring gear because I'll be, if I run a sweatshirt or something, I'm going to be real hot at the end of the set and then cold, you know? So most of the stuff I have, like a Nike long sleeve I wear and I get soaking wet. And then after the set, I'm freezing. like not not comfortable I have to run in and change so I I tried that one great one right gear long sleeve after I did two I mean the fishing was hot so we weren't sitting in between too much but yeah I mean when we were sitting and hanging out waiting for the boat to fill up I'm not when I say I'm not sitting too much I'm saying like two or three hours just sitting there waiting so from that transition of being hot and just it, how I thought about it was, I mean, hiking, you know, if I'm hiking up a mountain and I'm sweating and I sh- stopped to uh, glass, I'm not going to be with that one right gear. I'm not going to be cold because it's going to keep me, it's not going to overheat me, but it is going to keep me, keep me cool as well. So, yeah, that
1: was one of the yeah, things I, when I when I spoke to Joel about it and he talked about the ability of uh of it to wick and uh how they were testing it, um, I was really impressed with. So when my boy got his gear, I said, Well, Joel said this is gonna work. So we put it on him and uh gave it the water test, man, and yeah, again, I was I was pretty impressed, man. I was pretty impressed. So Good on Joel, man, for, you know, coming up with that product and making something that's functional, you know, apparently not just out in the hills or on the mountain, but uh, on a freaking Alaskan trolley in the Bering Sea. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big <laughs> plug right there, man. So yeah. what about hunting, man? What and why and, you know, why is that your your go-to when you get home? right? You said that, you know, you guys are going out coyote hunting on the off season, you know, three, four times a week. What draws you in? You know, why are you so passionate about it?
2: I mean, just hunting in general. Uh, coyote hunting. I mean, it's came up last couple of years of going out at night and yeah, before that, I mean, hunting, that's all I, I mean, growing up with my dad out in the middle of, I mean, if you've seen or know where I grew up, it's it's out in the middle of nowhere. You know, grew up in a single white trailer. So after my parents split up, and I had a pellet gun, my dad would go to work, Warehouser. and that's. I mean, I was my own babysitter from the age of six until I mean, till now. I'm still my own babysitter at times, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just growing up. I mean, fishing until I could hold a gun or my dad thought I could was responsible enough to walk behind him with a loaded firearm. Um, it's always been my, my, I guess not, not a release, but I find myself, I'm I love doing it. I mean, I I don't know what else, how to explain it, I guess, but I just grew up doing it and there's nothing that, (laughs) i don't
1: know what i'm trying to no i hear you
2: man yeah
1: that's perfect right because most of us have a very hard time describing that and it sounds kind of cliche but that immense passion or that love for it right it's hard to put words on that man it's just it's just something about you know everything about it it's not something about it; it's everything about it right whether it's you know just walking just beating brush or catching those sunrises and sunsets man and you know, you see that animal that you're after and, and trying to, you know, bust a stalk or get within, you know, for you, rifle distance, whatever your effective range is. Man, it's just, yeah, it's so hard to put words on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, exactly what it is. I can't really put, <clears throat> I don't know how much I love it the words because it's, I mean, it's not comparable to, I mean, I've played sports my whole life, and I love sports to death, but after my last game of baseball, it was my last game. You know, I knew it was my last game or football or basketball or something, and hunting, I mean, I can – I'll never stop. I'll never slow down, I guess. I mean, I I don't have any kids, so I can't really say I'll slow down or stop, but those kids are going to be – living and
1: breathing hunting just like go. me so. That's it. And, and really man there's you know when it comes to uh getting your kids interested and involved in something man outside of you know youth sports it's just uh there's nothing like it man sharing that time yeah is, you know it's gonna be a phenomenal thing so, yeah, then, so you uh, do have a couple kids though right you got a couple dogs running around man they got their own instagram page and the whole nine
2: yeah, they do have their Instagram page. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're yeah, a little, little black lab. Sig zig sour, named after the, the best pistol on the market, the P320. Oh, oh, you just so, you just
1: raise some hairs, man. People are gonna argue with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah,
2: I'm yeah, I'm just a everyday guy, but <laughs> a P320, man, it's it's yeah. I don't know what else. I love that gun to death. And I just recently bought my girlfriend one this last weekend, actually, at a gun show. So, yeah, but we have Sig and then Tate, named after Golden Tate when he was a (laughs) Seahawk. So he's about, he's almost six. So you Uh, got uh,
1: on your Instagram there, man, you got your your girlfriend, man, you know, rocking the uh, AR platform with the... (laughs) With the MAGA top on, man, um, pretty important, you know, person in your life, right? I mean, you know, and the anticipation of getting home after three or four months at sea, um, man, that's a pretty big deal, man, to have somebody, you know, back you that's going to deal with that, right? And you guys aren't, uh, you're not up there in your years, man, so that's got to be pretty important. Uh, You guys spending any time outdoors together, you know, doing any hunting or anything? Is she into it with you or?
2: Yeah. I mean, she's, uh, definitely nice to have that back home, you know, something mainstay and don't have to worry about her doing anything. So I mean, hunting wise, she didn't really grow up hunting, but I'm slowly getting her into hunting. She always says, oh, she'll never love hunting as much as I do, which she just hasn't shot her first animal yet in my eyes. You know, she hasn't had that. That adrenaline rush or that, I don't know, that satisfaction, I guess. Because she got a little taste of it, I guess, when we, we went clam digging. So we went clam digging and, you know, we cut our own clams, you know, and package them, vacuum seal them, put them away for whatever we can use for down the road. And she mentioned something about how nice it felt doing and packaging your own food you know so i think once she puts a bullet in a deer or something then she'll definitely start loving it more but coyote hunting is a different story so we tried going out a couple nights ago with our girlfriends and it's yeah past 10 o'clock it's nap time so (laughs) I don't know if we're going to be doing that too much after, after the other night, maybe daytime, but not nighttime.
1: (laughs) Yeah. She could be uh, kicking her feet up, man, watching, uh, watching a TV show or something, but yeah, Yeah. you know, that to me, it's important, right. That you're able to share that, that time outdoors and and the fact that she's willing to get out there and venture into something you love with, you know, a little bit of understanding it. I agree, man. Once she gets in, it's going to be full board.
2: Yeah, I sure hope so, but I definitely agree with you. once it's, I mean, it's just better. I just don't understand how somebody, I I don't know. I grew up out, out there. So growing up in the city, I'm not sure. It's
1: difficult. It's, it's hard. So, you know, like for, for my case, my wife wasn't exposed to it, you know, at all. Um, and we're in California, bro, so there's a stigma that goes along with being a hunter, and I've had to do some convincing. So I'm actually, I just uh, told her tonight that, hey, you're going turkey hunting with me here in about a week. So she said, all right. Oh, yeah. So I'm hoping, man, that, you know, she's behind the trigger and not me on that one.
2: Yeah, that'd be awesome. And definitely in springtime when those things are gobbling their, their beards off, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's been a little bit. I mean, I've seen some guys with some, some luck down here this year, but I think a lot of it is luck. The birds aren't really coming in. They're holding off on the calls, you know, just keeping that distance just right. And, uh, most of the guys I've been talking to said, man, they're just spooking at the last minute. Can't get them to come in all the way. We got a couple of oh. buddies that have, that have done some decent stuff, but yeah, hopefully I can get her on one, man. And You know, get her to get her to jump into this thing, you know, full board with me. After 26 years, you think that it wouldn't take that long, but you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that'd be uh, that's definitely exciting. At least she's willing to get out there and get going. Yeah,
1: that's I'm grateful for that, man. That that's a big deal to me, you know. Um, so the duck hunting, man we we kind of didn't touch on that, but you know, you guys do quite a bit of duck hunting, man. I've seen you know tailgates full. You got yeah, to we uh into the duck thing, huh?
2: Yeah, I grown up to about I don't know, sixteen or so, I I didn't duck hunt. I mean I didn't wasn't in duck hunting, nah, it's just that that part of it, the duck hunting part of it, I always thought it was expensive. <laughs> and which it is. I mean, decoys, the shotgun part's the least expensive. Because I run a Stoger m3000 it's a turkey gun but it's 30 inch barrel and i don't shoot i don't need three and a half so um yeah growing up i mean it was the decoys you know it's six decoys or like 60 bucks or something that's just that's a lot of money from my aspect so i didn't really get into duck hunting until i started hunting at my buddy's he has the a pretty large field, I guess it was a farm and his, uh, his grandpa passed away and it's kind of, the farm hasn't been going since then. So, um, in that field alone, I mean, within, you know, in a thousand yard radius, there's, there's two, there's one, two, three different outfitters and we're the only, I guess, uh, I guess not I want to be public because it's on private land, but we're not an outfitter by any means. I mean, there's, there's, we don't run blinds. I mean, we make our own blinds depending on how the water is, what the water level is and all that. So, I mean, well, yeah, we do pretty good. (laughs) It's, It's definitely fun. So we never got really taught other than his dad. He's a, you've seen old pictures of what he's he's done in his day duck hunting it's just it's amazing so i learned from a guy that's he'd farm he'd he'd get up go duck hunting, get his limit and then start his farming duties for the day (laughs) so it it was pretty cool learning from a guy like that
1: yeah i'm a horrible wing shooter man i can't uh I can't back it. <laughs> I can't back it because my skills just not there. No, see, sorry. I'm. A,
2: if there's there's more than five birds, I mean, I might. I'm not going to run a three, you know, three shot, three bird. You no know, way. If there's three birds, then yeah, or a single. I hit singles all day, but once a big flock comes in, I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm not. I'm not missing all the time, but. Some days I'm like, what? How in the hell did I not? It's hard to, I mean, everybody that's duck hunted has that, I guess, not a problem, but it's hard to take one bird, you know? Right. I'm shooting both eyes open <laughs> and yeah.
1: pick a target.
2: And there's, yeah, yeah. So lining up the bead, I mean, the barrel, it's, it's every time you're just shooting your gun, you know, you got to get out and shoot. Yeah. And there's nothing I can preach more than shoot, shoot, shoot.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that I think that's so. my biggest problem, man, is uh is I just don't spend enough time practicing it. Right for me, it's it's bow and then uh some rifles. So, yeah, that shotgun gets very little use. I think the last time I went out, oh man, I think it was uh might have been 2 years ago, and we just went out on a real quick uh day trip for dove on opener and uh came home with nine birds cost me 150 shells
2: (laughs) oh (laughs) oh yeah I've been I mean I've yeah I can't say I've never done that I've been out we got like there's three of us we I go through two boxes you know my buddy's gone through three and we come back with 10 birds
1: (laughs) yeah I shouldn't even say that man I it's it's embarrassing but it's pretty funny (laughs) to me
2: yeah well I'm not, I don't get embarrassed by anything. You know, I'm a, I'm a human, you know, people, people say they, you know, the best or whatever, but no matter what, if you do it enough, you're going to mess up just as much as succeeding. And
1: it's some work to duck hunt. I have a a guy that, uh, that I work with and he's a huge, uh, waterfowl hunter. I mean, this dude is passionate about waterfowl. Like I am about elk and deer. And uh, we were talking, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and he was, you know, kind of giving me the rundown on his season. And he's talking about uh, setting out like 20 dozen decoys on a set. And I'm like, how long does it take you to set that amount of decoys? And he's like, Oh, five five of us do it in about 20 minutes. And I'm like, Jesus, man, it's crazy. So oh, I didn't yeah. realize it was that that extensive. Right. I mean, guys are putting out huge decoy sets. Yeah, I mean, that's what uh,
2: I got a, a real good buddy. He uh, he fishes up in Alaska too. He but he's a crabber, he's one of those, one of those crazy guys, you know. I everybody always asks me, Are you you crab up there like deadliest catch? No, I got I have I always joke, you know, it's not a real so if anybody listening is a crabber, I'm not pitching <laughs> your crap, but I am, you know, I <laughs> always say. I got brain. You know. I don't, I don't want to crap, but I'm smart, but
1: <laughs> work smarter, not buddy. harder, buddy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, they do that. I mean, he runs, uh, runs with, uh, what is there? I can't remember who it is, but they have an outfitter and, um, his name is Bubba Taylor and his, one of his best friends, if not his best friend is Blake gray. And they, they've been hunting ducks since, I mean, religiously, I mean every Christmas birthday you know Blake gets 6 to 12 decoys of whatever he wants so I mean they run like you said anywhere from 4 I mean 4 or 5 dozen is a small spread for them so they'll run 20 20 dozen at least out there I mean and they grind they don't just go out there for a couple hours like me and my buddies they grind all day just for they don't shoot hands. They shoot straight tricks. They will not shoot a hand. Isn't that amazing? So, yeah,
1: you know what oh I mean? Oh, man.
2: I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I could, but I don't know. They have nice blinds and stuff, and I'm sitting up there, usually on my knees, you know, up to my waist and waters. So I don't care about the cold, you know. My hands, after beating ice and stuff like that, I my hands are not so sensitive to the cold. So but it's impressive the spreads people put out. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing, man. Because ducks, it um, SOBs fly fast, man. So to to pick out a drake, right, and just say, "Oh, there he is." I'm, I'm taking that one. And there's 12 other birds flying. That's something else, man.
2: Yeah, I I, I strictly think. I mean, Blake and Bubba, those two together, carlin I mean, it's un um, it's unreal. I mean, one time I went out with them. We didn't run a big spread of decoys. We just had this little, there's like this, I don't even know, like a natural spring that ran through this guy's cattle farm that we know. And we put in hay for him when we were younger and stuff and decided that there was a couple good flocks of mallards around hanging around there. So we went out and uh, we were taking turns on the jerk cord. We were sitting back in the trees and the two guys were out in this little tiny bush for a blind you know we just hide underneath it the ducks were coming in one way so and the wind was blowing to our back so it was perfect setup and Blake was out fixing the. as we were sitting there the water level went down a little bit so there was a decoy that was crooked you know the the keel touched bottom and it fell over a little bit but so Blake's walking out there no good no calls or anything and Two geese come by. I mean, they're low, and it's obviously just two, so it's a lot easier to turn them around and stuff. But he literally dropped. I mean, he just sprints back through the water, making a whole bunch of ruckus, gets to his call and just starts honking that thing. And, I mean, those two honkers just turned right around. I mean, we don't have any decoys out or nothing for geese. And they damn near landed right on top of Blake and he, I mean he dusted buckle but yeah it's they're pretty those two guys are I mean if anybody talks about duck hunting around here i I only listen to those two guys so
1: so how important but, is the is the calling aspect when you're when you're duck hunting
2: um I think around here yeah it's definitely uh definitely a I don't call too crazy. You know, there's definitely, I've learned over the not too long of duck hunting, um, not to call too much, obviously. I mean, you don't want to, and then when they're over, when they're working over top, I don't usually call a lot other than a feeder, a random hen, drake I mean, something small, but, um, yeah i once they're over and they're pinpointing where that call's coming from is mostly when i just do the movement type things because we can't use motorized anything in washington state so i got my jerk cord and i tucked underneath or inside my bibs you know just barely jerking just to get some water moving but uh calling yeah i've definitely i've definitely squeaked a couple sounds before that don't sound like a duck and they just flare off but i mean how the spread is i think is pretty key not only to have them funnel to where you are but to make them look realistic you know so i guess the day before type thing looking for your your ducks or where you want to set up and what ducks are around where you're setting up to just remember that for the next day and throw your decoys out accordingly, like how the feed is, where the feed's at, just stuff like that. But colon wise, around us it's a it's a it's a main flyway. So I mean there's gonna be ducks. It's just getting their attention and say, hey, I'm over here feeding and this shit is good. So you better get over here. So <laughs> Yeah, I would have I never
1: mean, thought, man. I I didn't realize that there was that much strategy involved in it, right? I look at duck hunting and I don't mean it offensively to anyone, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, they're just tossing decoys out. man. I had no idea placement. And I'm, I'm looking right now and there's like uh what is it? Eight calls, right. That are kind of the, you got the basic quack, a greeting call, feed call, hail call, comeback call, lonesome hen, pleading call. Oh no,
2: yeah. Man. Yeah. Know. And I'm only, I mean, I've, I shouldn't say I've ever mastered a call in my life because I haven't. So Except for a, a chirp from a from a cow, I mean that's one of your basic. You know, I could. It's not hard, but there's about three calls I usually do. I mean, I feed her very rarely, but I mean, a I comeback call to five. I mean, you go three, five, or seven sequence. I usually run three to five, and that's and I don't do it very often. I mean, unless I I use it for under, I mean, a, a big flock, it's hard to, it's hard to turn them around unless there's more than one guy calling in my eyes. You know, it, people obviously have different, uh, thoughts on calling and have a lot, way more experience than I do duck hunting, which mine isn't it's like too extensive, in the sky. but <laughs> <Shit>. yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, duck hunting, that goes along, reminds me, like you saying, not like really thinking about how much it goes, how much goes into it. I thought about that with coyote hunting, you know, I mean, everybody growing up out here, we're all, most of them, you know, dads work at Warehouser, where I grew up at least. And then my my mom and dad split up and then I came into Chehalis, but out where I grew up m- most of my years is they're all loggers. You know, I mean, you see a coyote, it's just, oh, it's a coyote. It's just a, it's a rat, pretty much. But now I've I've taken it to a different level of it's just a rat. I mean, it's they are very, very intelligent and very fun to hunt. Just because they're it's like a boxing match, really. I mean, and it's not a heavyweight match by any means. It's a featherweight jab for jab type thing. I mean, might kill a couple coyotes tonight and then might not kill one for another month. Well, they get
1: call shy pretty fast too, right? I mean, they're pretty smart animals.
2: Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's the thing—is around here. I've been, been really putting in some work on the. Not a lot of road, I guess, but in this West Lewis County, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of farms. I mean, from sheep farms to dairy farms to cattle farms to any type of farming you think of, and it's around here. So I've been knocking on doors. I mean out in the valley Boysford valley area where i grew up i i did a lot of work for the farmers out there when i was younger so i have a lot of inns out there and people know me a lot so it's a lot easier to get uh permission but like first of like the first thing they ask is you want to you want to hunt what you want to hunt coyotes you don't want to hunt the elk or the deer back here i'm like no i want to hunt the coyotes like oh well, yeah, sure. You can have coyotes because <laughs> they, they have that aspect of, of that thought process of not really thinking they're a game animal, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. But that, I mean, and then part of that too, right? Is, is, is it's pretty important to stay on top of that predator management, right? I mean, those numbers get out of control, right? And everybody says, oh, you know, weak or old um, coyotes, man, are they're, they're ferocious, man. They'll take down, take down some animals.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I'm. I've heard, you know, I've not seen, but I've heard it for over the years. Of you shoot, you take. I mean, if you take out a whole pack of coyotes, and another pack's gonna move in, it's just a never-ending cycle. And I, I mean, I. It's not like I don't believe that. Cause the coyote, the coyote period in the United States as a whole is. I mean, it's one of the most, I guess, sustainable uh, wild game animal there is in in my eyes, I guess, but they, they're very adapt. They can adapt to anything. I mean, they are very, very, I don't know how to explain it, but
1: it's an adaptable animal, man. I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they do well in, in every situation. Right. I mean, we have them. I'm, I'm probably as urban as you can get. Right. And uh, we have a huge problem in my area with them. I mean, a huge problem running through schools and taking, you know, people's pets, cats, dogs. um, And they don't care. You'll, you know, you'll walk down the street and they're running around. They'll just look at you and keep running, man. No fear. Um, They're used to us. There's nothing that we could do about it. Um, You know, as soon as you try and arrow one or something, you know, you're you're in handcuffs, man. (laughs)
2: All i could not imagine and <laughs> you know,
1: and, and it, you know it, everybody is up in arms that you want to control that or do something about it but then you know as soon as they snatch somebody's you know pet off the leash which happens quite often um you know then they're up at arms and it's just like you, you know what do you expect you, you're not controlling them you don't allow control of them it, it's bound to happen <clears throat> you know. yeah
2: i couldn't i couldn't imagine that that I, it's hard to even to think about to that people literally think that they need to not be hunted, you know, and not just as a whole hunting, you know, people don't like hunting. It's just, it's just really mind boggling to me because you meet or see or any type of hunter, we don't go after something that they do. You know, I mean, I'm sure they do a lot of things like parenting. Most of the, I shouldn't say that, I guess, but a lot of, it's hard to, to uh grow your kid up around hunting and being outdoors and respecting how to handle firearms and how to respect your neighbor and all that stuff and not raise your kid right. You know what I mean? I feel like a country or people that live out where they do or, what have you not so urban i guess or city I mean, i'm mean, i not saying that people in the city don't know how to raise kids because they, they do it every day but
1: it's different though it man. happens yeah no it's different yeah. right i mean a lot of it a lot of it is ease and convenience so
2: yes and that, that, that coincides
1: yeah we, we've we've yeah. lost that part of us right i mean And and I'm speaking off of opinion and nothing substantiated, but I'd imagine that the ability for us to figure that out, you know, way back whenever we did has a lot to do with our evolution, right? The ability to make the tools to go hunt those animals and, you know, become the alpha predator in most situations, right? Um, With that tool, of course, right? Not, you know, bare hands and canines are pretty much uh, non-existent, I think, <laughs> in most people. Anymore. Yeah. But yeah, it's a big yeah. deal, man. I, and I see a difference, right? I mean, I raise my kids, you know, in an urban center. Um, and then I, c- you know, come in contact, especially with the podcast with folks that are raising their kids um, in rural areas. And the values and how they view hunting and then how they view wildlife and nature in general. You look around me, man, I have to drive, you know, 30 minutes to the foothills and then, you know, to get away from homes, I'm driving another 30 minutes into those, to those Hills. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, Drastic difference, drastic difference.
2: Yeah. That's rough for, I mean, people that come from the country and like yourself, you know, I'm I'm not sure if you came from the country or what, but I'm, and know about the country life and raising your kid, right. And stuff. And then going into that, that setting and then having to, you're kind of handcuffed, you know I mean? A lot of things you can't do. And then, I mean, like you said, with, uh, a lot of the urban setting is about, that's how we lost our, you know, family dinners. You know, we don't eat around tables anymore and stuff like that. cause, I mean, we don't have to, and it's so much easier just to grab something from somewhere. And then that,
1: yeah. Yeah. It's it, that, You know, I talked to, uh, I talked to Kristen Rederath and we kind of went and started talking about that. And uh, I still, my daughter's away at college. So, you know, my son's home. Um, I mean, that's a big deal for me, man, is, is sitting down and sharing that time around the ta- table. But you're exactly right, man. it, I don't know if it's the convenience or the distractions or what it is. You just don't, it's just not valued. And it's crazy to me. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've, I don't even know. I mean, the big family dinners now, you know, it's Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. Easter Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah. If it's, but if it's that sometimes, (laughs) right. I mean, you know, it's, it's an hour drive. You know, you leave, if we leave my house to, to get to my parents' house, is about 54 miles. And if we leave after about like 10 a.m. on Thanksgiving Day, it's an hour and a half, two hours to go 50 miles. Yeah, You know, so people are like, oh, I don't want to make that drive. Right. You're spending a lot of time during the week making crazy drives and all the traffic here in Southern California. Man, I don't know. We just we've just kind of lost it. And it's it's a sad thing, man. That's you know, and maybe that's why I value hunting and the lifestyle and it's so much because there's there's just that part of me is still alive and kicking and wanting to experience those things man
2: yeah yeah that's it's very important yeah. <laughs> in my
1: eyes no it is man it is right. I, I refuse yeah. to fall victim of the uh you know, it sounds cliche again, right. Uh, of the concrete jungle thing, man, screw those conveniences. I'd rather go struggle for my meat than walk into the store and feel like, you know, that's it. And then have a problem with, you know, folks that want to go and, uh, provide for their family's table that way.
2: But yeah, that's the, that's a big thing for me is people that are against it. And then, or, I mean, we deal with that on the boat a lot. We have federal observers and, most of these kids, you know, they're, they're from Seattle, they're from big towns and they're there to make sure we're not poaching fish. And, and in all reality, you know, we can't keep, we can't touch, you know, if we see a salmon or anything, we can't touch them. Can't touch halibut crab because we don't, we don't fish for that. So, and I always talk to them about, you know, most of them are vegan and stuff like that. So we have to cook accordingly, you know, to them. And it's just—I mean, we pay for them. We pay for their food. They don't pay for anything. I mean, so it's—it's it's tough for me. I don't cause any problems or nothing. I just pitch them a lot of shit. So think we had this one kid that he just ate fish. I can't remember what it's called—pescadorian
1: uh, or something like that. Yeah,
2: pes—yeah, something like that. Yeah,
1: pescatarian or something like <laughs>
2: that. There you yeah. go. Thanks. So <laughs> he only, yeah, he only ate fish, right? So, but one day, I mean, he ate eggs, but he wanted to eat chicken. I was just like, what? What do you? He's like, well, the, the way the chicken is uh, is brought up in the farms is just it's just inhumane, and then the beef, you know, inhumane. And I was like so are you against hunting he's like no i used to hunt i'm like okay so if you went out and you shot an, a, an animal well no matter what it is and you ate it i mean would you eat it first question he's like yeah i'd eat it i was like okay so i i I got his me and him thank matt we got along because he understood and i'm on the same i understand how the beef and you know, antibiotics and all that stuff go, you know, and chicken and crap. And I understand that, but it's just, most of these people are no, strictly no beef. Don't drink milk because it kills cows, which does not make sense in my eyes at all. <laughs> you know what,
1: what's crazy yeah, about this is the, is the people that have a problem with hunting and don't look at factory farming. It's crazy, right? I mean, you want yeah, to talk that about drives like, me nuts. the most absurd stance on something that I have ever seen, right? It's like, look at the life of that factory farmed animal. And you want to have a problem with me going out and harvesting something. Why? Because you have a problem with the blood on your hands. Well, you the blood's on your hands. But look at the misery that animal lives in its entire existence. That Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Roger. You know, you want to, if you want to say, Hey, I'm only eating, you know, uh, grass fed free roaming, if that's your hundred percent and you can make that statement and you're going to the ranch that's providing it and ordering your meat from them, you know, good on you. But if that's not, you're, you're not going into it that deep. How can you, how can you say anything to a hunter? How can you, it just,
2: uh. Yeah. I don't understand it at all. I, it's just, it's hard to, it's like, you know, but it's, it's, it's like arguing with a wall, you know? I mean, yeah. you, could, <laughs> and, you could just yell and scream at that thing and it's still going to just be, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, nothing's going to change.
1: It's weird, man. Right. I, I just, I don't know. And I feel like us as hunters, we outdoorsmen, not even hunters, fishermen out, you know, just outdoors men and women in general we will, with open arms, respect your decision and your opinion not to partake in hunting and choose your course. But for whatever yes. reason, it's not, it, that's not reciprocated from, you know, I don't want to say antis, but it's not reciprocated from, from the majority of people that don't get it, right? Those people that don't want to listen to it, that are, you know, walking around in leather Birkenstocks uh, <laughs> with, with a problem that we're out harvesting, yeah. harvesting our meat for, you know, the year or six months or whatever it is.
2: Oh yeah. And that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's very, I guess I shouldn't say ironic, but it's just funny to me that they don't realize what they have on, you know, leather jackets and stuff like that. It's just like, so you're a vegan and you don't like killing of any type of animal. Everything should be free and doing all this stuff, but you have a leather jacket on.
1: Yeah, yeah, leather leather seats in that uh, Lexus yeah. or Mercedes, there, buddy.
2: Oh, yeah, but no, no, it's different. We can't log around here because it takes up too. It kills too much trees. But you have two or three notebook notebooks in your in your in your backpack in your for, there. Yeah. <laughs> for class so that doesn't make sense to me yeah it's weird man it, it's, something it's else. just
1: funny I mean and then like yeah. the oversight you're saying you guys have on the trawlers there um you know that's really odd too right because that puts you in a position to where you're you have someone you know essentially part of the crew that is coming into something that they have to you know watch out for but they're already biased so that has to pose a huge issue, um, with what's going on. I mean, that, that has to impact, you know, your workload and what you're trying to get done.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, it's not, it's hit or miss you know, it's, it's by the person. I mean, most of the time probably 85 to 90% of the observers we do get, you know, they're federal observers from NOAA. I mean, they're, uh, they right off the get-go you know how they teach them in school I'm not sure exactly by the book how they teach them but in their eyes I mean I don't want to step on anybody's feet or get anybody mad but we're the enemy you know we're out there scraping the bottom of the ocean destroying coral reef and doing all this stuff and eating all this fish and destroying the fishery but or not, you know, I mean, it's just like conservation around here. The hunters or fishermen, I mean, who puts in all the money all the time and all of the, I mean, everything about what we love to do. Why would we want to destroy it if we love it so much? That's it just, that's like saying farmers want to destroy wheat or hay. It just doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up, but it's just something that i don't know they they love to go after but and definitely on the boat definitely uh puts a it's not a burden but it's it's a lot of wasted money that's how i look at it because we we have to pay for them to even have a job
1: right to be there so, and i mean yeah so how how you said you know destroying reefs but from my understanding and I don't know much, right. I'm stretching it here, but my understanding is the bottom of the bearing man is, is pretty much just sand and mud.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, that's why I don't, if they know anything of nautically, you know, about the, the layout of where we're fishing, you know, why we can't fish. And I mean, some of the Bering sea, you know, is 2000 fathoms, I mean, a fathom six feet, you know, I mean, wow, we don't have, anything to get down there and nobody does you know we we fish usually yeah sand and mud yeah there's there's some type of organism you know around there that we're uh, we're disturbing but we're also fishing within usually you know within a hundred fathoms of the bottom sometimes if we're like Real deep. If it's 150 more, you know, we're not touching the bottom out there. We're, we're going straight because the school of fish is midwater, about a hundred fathoms, say. So we're not even close to the bottom. And if we were and deeper is when you get to the canyons. And I mean, we'd have to be raising and lowering the net every, you know, eighth of a mile or 500 feet of the ocean and that doesn't, it, it, we'd rip up, we'd get hung up and our nets would be tough. And I mean, totals. So yeah. And I mean, what's that? Oh no, Sorry. I was going to say that.
1: So to put that in perspective, right. You said, you said 2000 fathoms.
2: Yeah. So I mean, 12,000 feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy to think about how deep, you know, if you look at nautical maps of the, the Bering Sea shelf, you know, there's a shelf there that, I mean, (laughs) out towards, uh, ADAC, you know, way out at the very end of the, the Aleutian Islands. I mean, those canyons just around there are, they're very, very deep. It's pretty crazy. I mean, that's where I didn't know this growing up, but as our history wasn't very, I guess, just, uh, elaborate i should say um on i mean world war Two. you know what they did with all the stuff that we had out in adac and dutch harbor i mean they sink you know a lot of stuff off of adac island into the however deep it is out there i mean they tested a lot of military stuff out there that nobody knows about until i started fishing that's the only reason why i know but
1: yeah, it, it gets deep. Yeah, that's something else, man. So, I had to, I had to kind of do that math when you said it. I'm like, wow, you know, twelve thousand feet. That that's amazing. So you're going six thousand feet. Yeah. If you're talking mid distance on these schools.
2: Yeah, I mean, hundred in a season we 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 dipped out to about sixty fathoms was, but most of the fishing was up, you know, thirty thirties to to fifties fathom otherwise and we never really i mean i wasn't up there the entire time we we were fishing but i could tell if we touched the bottom or not by what's on the net and we hardly touched the bottom so i mean yeah one fathom one fathom is six feet so yeah it's still it's still out there
1: (laughs) man that is deep crazy yeah so uh we'll lighten it up a little bit, man. Why don't you uh when you go out on your hunts there, man, what's uh give me three things that you that you absolutely have to have in your pack.
2: Yeah, so I mean like backcountry hunting, I mean those three things my my pack, you know, it start out with uh I have a Yukon long range pack from the wilderness specialties down in Oregon. It's not too it's not out there, you know, it's not like a name that you talk to you know like Aaron Snyder of course and everybody in that I guess magnitude or of hunters they don't you never really hear about them but it's called the the Yukon long range pack and it has a polymer frame but it's about nine pounds I mean it's 5,000 cubic inches but you get the long range pack, it has a, uh, the Pelican package is fourteen hundred extra cubic inches and then that zippered extension gives you another twelve hundred. So you you really have a seventy six hundred cubic inch uh pack. And I've I've done just one backcountry pack with it and I mean the hot spots aren't there, the the it fits great. I mean, when you do extend that zipper up, it goes, it's 10 inches, you know, it extends out 10 more inches and it's not too top heavy. Like I would thought it was going to be, but, uh yeah, that's a great pack to have in my eyes. But I mean, for sure around here hunting guaranteed, I mean, I'm not leaving the house without obviously a range finder. I, mean, I run the, the six hour kilo 2000, uh, Love it to death, but and then, um, yeah, I have that. I just got um the county six I took it out yet, but a one rate year, vinyl we'll no harness and range finder and all that, so i'm a, i'm I'm real excited about that, but so yeah, I mean, back country it's for for sure that pack, and then I'm not going anywhere without my jet boil, of course. I mean that's just basic stuff, but and of course my three hundred Remington Ultra Mag. (laughs) It's a little brute out in the backcountry, but a lot of people say too much or stuff like that. But I mean, you're back there. It's I mean you got to be. I don't want to piss anybody off, but I like. I'm a bigger dude, so I can carry more weight, I think. But I mean, yeah, essentials <laughs> is definitely uh no more toilet paper in in my in my life in the backcountry hunting. It's all about wet ones, man. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
1: That's it right there, buddy. There's an honest I mean, answer right there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't yeah, people think you know, my dad. I I said something about wet ones. He's like, you got any toilet paper? No, I have wet ones. And he, he damn near broke his neck. He looked at me and said, "Wet ones." I was like, "Pops,
1: don't leave home these, without them."
2: Hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you you wipe with your toilet paper and walk two more miles, and tell me if you feel any. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. yeah.
1: So I'm, I'm right there with you, man. When a hunter's <laughs> got to feel fresh.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, wet ones, and then some baby powder. There's nothing better. So, but yeah, but hunting around here, yeah, it's my, it's a big difference of what I pack. You know, my day pack is the only thing I take around here and then I just have a metal frame. You know, if I pack, if I kill something around here, I'm not, I'm not more than five miles or three miles even to a vehicle or truck, you know, or somewhere I can get a quad to. So I hunt mostly state land around here. I mean, a lot of guys buy the warehouse permits and stuff and i just i'm not going to pay 350 bucks to even step foot on somebody's property unless it's a private owner you know so um yeah i'd i'd, I'd try to stay on the private and public lands as much as i can but i just uh i mean yeah gotcha. linos
1: it's a good looking pack um, though. I pulled that up. I hadn't heard about it. And uh I'm looking at it now. It's a good looking pack, man.
2: Yeah, I mean if you I mean you go on the website, it's not too, you know, crazy crazy advanced and real nice, but I mean I'm telling you that that pack is it's not a carbon fiber frame or nothing like that, but it is nice. It is definitely nice. So and it definitely holds what it's rated at right i'm mean, the only thing small. that
1: concerns me with it is i'm looking at it right and uh there's a lot of pouches dude and if it has pouches i will find something to <laughs> fill them damn pouches up with <laughs> yeah yeah there is a lot i mean what is it nine i think it is uh, yeah. i want
2: to say nine pouches let's see i got one two three four five yeah six
1: seven uh eight yeah plus the main that's nine yep
2: yeah. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, I mean, not a lot of different accessories and stuff for it, but with that, pe- that pelican pouch or pelican pack, I mean, that's, it's, it's awesome. I mean, it turns from a small pack to a three, three day hunt pack to with just the basic Yukon and unzip that zipper and then slap that pelican pack on there. You got to. 7,600, yes, that's a big pack. That I, I mean, that's, that, you got to pack a lot of shit to fill that thing up. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying out, I haven't, I mean, if we're like sleeping in, in a tent aspect, you know, I'm not, when I backcountry hunt, it's usually springtime. You know, I'm not, I don't go, well, I haven't been yet to a, a backcountry hunt for elk in the winter or, high mule buck hunt yet and hopefully this september i'll be doing that but depends on it's probably not going to happen because of work but i really want to do a washington high buck hunt but we'll see about that i don't think it'll be a possibility but last year i didn't think i was going to deer elk hunt either so it turned out good but yeah so i mean pack wise other than the Barry Centrals, that uh, Kilo Rangefinders n- never let me down. I guess, even though i dropped it several, <laughs> Yeah, I've I dropped it off a canyon, not a canyon, I shouldn't say, but a pretty good embankment. And yeah, I've picked that damn thing up, and it's completely fine.
1: Yeah, I've heard good things about the Sig Rangefinders, man.
2: Man, that yeah
1: so what's that what's that one thing in your pack that uh, that you just don't really need that you have to put in there
2: one thing in my pack I don't need I mean it's clothes I mean guaranteed I mean I pack way too much usually I go out five days that's my my spring bear type hunt is yeah five days so (laughs) Before I packed, I mean I packed a pair of underwear and socks for five days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I quickly changed my outlook on that. But yeah, the absolute thing I don't use ever is definitely and I can't I can't think of something that I haven't used.
1: Yeah, I got this little I don't know what it is, man. I found these like little Chinese made like butane flint matches um <laughs> looks like a little tiny canteen and uh, i think i got like uh i don't know i think it was like a dozen for 12 bucks um has to be in the pack i think it's just principle <laughs> but has well to, i mean yeah it has might be the or- pack. well no because i'm i'm carrying i'm carrying a freaking you know a little mini uh windless torch man this thing just has to oh. go i'm not sure what the hell it is <laughs> You know, and most of the well, time I guess, before season, I don't even put the butane in it to get the to get the cotton wet that you know is supposed to hold it. And uh, yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure why, but I have to carry that thing every freaking year.
2: Yeah, I guess. I mean, thinking about that, I do. I mean, I carry yeah, at least three, four lighters with me, and then I have that little. I can't remember who makes it, but I have this little. I mean, the Storm Pack Storm matches. Mm-hmm. You know, I've listened to enough podcasts and the whole Vaseline soaked cotton ball thing. You know, I just, I've been, you know, there's always here, you know, you could build a fire, but always have in your pack, at least three different ways to build a fire, you know, at least three as of one way or two ways. Yeah. I mean, don't work. Then obviously you have a third option, but
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's those gels and putties now, man. That uh, that are pretty impressive too, um, as far as fire starting, you know. Because I used to do the whole cotton ball with uh, with petroleum jelly thing too, man, and it works. But some of the gels that they have now, man, are just damn. Yeah, yeah. I haven't
2: I haven't done too much into that because, like I said, my backcountry hunting is so far just spring, so. I don't really have to. They're still dry. Yeah.
1: So what's uh, what's the 2019 season looking like?
2: Uh yeah, just right now. Uh, what is? What's the date today? Seventeenth. So, yeah, June second through the seventh. I'm driving to Idaho and then flying into the Selway-Bitterroot. Get dropped off for five days, me and a buddy of mine. And yeah, we're on going after. I have a bear, wolf, and cougar tag. So, so yeah, well, I'm going to try to a bear in that area. I'm not sure. I mean, I've been there before. I took a bear a couple of years ago out of there and we, we started at a trailhead or hike tent, which in about five days, we, Our GPS, well, my buddy's GPS is right under 75 miles in five days. So that was an eye opener. That's for sure. (laughs) So, I mean, packing that, our last camp was 15 miles in. So on that one day, we, we, we took that bear out whole. I mean, not whole, but we quartered him up. We didn't use our, use our heads very well.
1: didn't bone him out. So we sure that, Oh man,
2: it was horrible. Yeah. But you know what? But, There's
1: something about having bone in, man. I, I feel like the, the load is considerably more stable. So for me, I true. I think I would rather, I mean, yeah, cut it off at the, at the, you know, the knee joint or whatever. Um, But I think I would rather have some bone in to have that stable load even in the best pack, right? If you just have a bunch of loose meat, man, that, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of it. I would much rather is, bone in.
2: Yeah. That is, uh, I never, yeah. It would settle more, you know, at the bottom of the year and It wouldn't be so evened out, I guess, you know, but yeah. But 2019 is that the Idaho hunt in June. And then, Uh, I don't have shipyard this year, and depending on what time I get home from Alaska, usually in the beginning of October, mid mid October. So I'll be hunting. I got yeah deer and elk in Washington, and I already have my bear tag I put in for the spring bear and was not drawn, so I have that tag, and I also have a turkey tag, but I'm not sure if I'll get over to eastern Washington and not to get to kill my turkey. So um those two hunts and then Idaho I'll be going over there for a whitetail hunt. I have a buddy I played college baseball with over there. So right northwest of uh Lewiston. So I'll be around there and and then um yeah I'm gonna try to get to Montana like I talked about earlier with my cousin Jeff, he lives in Wyoming, actually, and yeah, he'll be. I hope I'll get up there, get over there, and do something with him. But yeah, other than that, I I put in for a couple Wyoming things, tags there. Uh, every super hunt in Idaho, I put in for, <laughs> so <laughs> I've been trying to to get out there more because so I want to. I definitely want to hunt Montana, but after listening to Todd Orr's story and a couple other people on podcasts. I'm not scared of bears, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know if yeah. you heard. I So a uh, buddy of mine right through the podcast and we just, you know, kind of connected Luke Elifritz man. And this guy is, as far as I'm concerned, this guy is upper echelon, top tier, top shelf, however you want to look at it. You know, just the elk master, man um and we had a conversation he's pointing me in a i went to wyoming last year had some issues um and i kind of avoided grizzly country long story short and uh, the best i could and uh yeah he's kind of poking fun at me about a week or two ago when we were sitting here talking and i'm like man it's just something the grizzlies man is just something that i'm not used to I've never had to deal with them the unpredictability man is kind of you know kept me on the very cautious side <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm just thinking about, I mean, grizzlies and always for some reason I have a, I don't like cougars, man. I I have a thing that (laughs) I don't know what it is, but yeah, I think it's from being younger and hearing cougar screams from my bedroom. You know, I just not, not Not something I want to mess around (laughs) with and, I'm not a cat guy, you know, I always think about it and I mean, you got to say just a five pound house cat pissed off at you. What are you going to do? You know? Yeah. You can pick it up and slam it on the ground, but that's thinking about a hundred plus pound cat pissed off at you you know, it's just not real. And then you go to grizzly and this thing stands up and it's looking in a two story building. I mean, what what are you going to do there? (laughs) Not a
1: damn thing,
2: man not a damn thing they always say bear spray you know bear spray bear spray it's just i don't know i just i'm not sure yeah wild wild
1: animals (laughs) man they just they're just next level with with their determination right that fight for life their entire life on a daily basis man i yeah i'm not trusting it to no damn bear spray especially with a grizz man no no i don't even want to find out no
2: <laughs> no, not at all. That's what uh, this area in Idaho, and I'm shying away from. You know, we're going to be pretty damn close to Montana border there. And they call out that you, you have to be able to. <laughs> this is funny to me, but I get it for other people, I guess. But you have to be able to identify a black bear to, to grizzly. You know, I understand color phase and all that, but I feel, you know, I've never. Seen a grizzly in real life other than you know montana driving around but or alaska you know kodiak grizzlies those those things are out of this world but there's a in my eyes a very distinct (laughs) uh feature that they have that black bears do not so but but then i do i have a couple pictures of that black bear i mentioned earlier at my around my father's house. And for some reason, man, that thing has a fucking, it has a hump it has a grizzly hump on it and it's just, yeah, I don't know, but there's a big, you know, you know how it is distinct difference of bears, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: It's enough to keep me, uh, keep me leery. Luke Elifritz. I know you're listening to this, man. Yeah. You got bigger, bigger ones than me, bro. (laughs)
2: <laughs> oh man yeah kudos to him It <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. looks like oh don't worry about them they're not going to do nothing to you yeah, all right
2: that's what uh, I can't remember who I was what podcast I was listening to damn it. but that's what he was a a trapper he worked for the fishing game running running dogs and I mean he yeah he oh they're yeah cougars, they, won't, they won't attack it at all and I was just like what And then, oh, it was Todd Orr. What am I thinking? He was saying all these different years he's never been, you know, any encounters or something like that. And then that really, I mean, really crazy encounter happened with him when he got attacked two separate times in a matter of 20 minutes from a sow, you know? And that was just, wow.
1: Man, you never know, right? You turn that corner and you come up on a sow with some cubs, man. It's, you know, what are you going to do?
2: I mean, yeah, you you can't do – you know, it's just it's it's wild. But that does bring me back to a, a a pack um thing that I a pack item that I will never leave with without and is that's sort a of chest holster just simply because of being able to draw quick and that scenario, you know, if I'm having to hunker down then to prepare for a pair attack then I could pull my pistol out and then yeah, you know, but how do you a lot? How the hell do
1: you prepare for that, right? I mean, to no, you can't. That, you know, it's just like
2: <laughs> it's just like being in the military. You know, you you don't know right. until you're there, and that's yeah. You can't prepare for something you've never been in the that
1: that scenario. Yeah, six seven hundred yeah. pounds charging at you at twenty some odd miles an hour. You know,
2: yeah. I mean, full
1: board, man. You better be a goddamn good <laughs> shot. Yeah.
2: He better be a good shot, and definitely, yeah, definitely Billy the Kid with
1: something. <laughs> when I was in Wyoming last year, there was a guide and uh, a guide that lost his life because of a bear attack. Man,
2: I, I heard about that. Uh, I'm, I think it's the one I'm thinking of with the uh, was the the hunter from wasn't he from New York or Florida so. or something? Yeah,
1: I think so. He was. Uh, yeah, he. I, the story I heard was he didn't. He wasn't an operator, right? He had the firearm. He couldn't couldn't get it done, um, and unfortunately, you know, the the guy lost his life in it.
2: Um, yeah, it's a horrible what situation. I, I, I heard that, and I was just I was bummed, man. I was bummed for a while. Just the fact that you know, the the hunter wasn't able to operate a handgun, and it was the, and then he left. You know that, that part really angered me
1: well you know I when I first heard it too I was like you know and I had the same reaction right oh that's kind of chicken shit um but the story that I heard was basically the guide was like you know get the hell out of here right get out of here now whether you make that decision or not I I don't know right but I can't imagine being in that position I'm just trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt Um, of course you know what I mean but being in that position if the guide's telling you get out of there, I mean, what do you, you know, what do you do? I, you're not going to jump on its back. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how I would react to it. I couldn't see running away from that situation, but yeah, it will give the, guy yeah, the, and, the Benny of the doubt there, man. That's a rough one.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've never been in that situation at all, like you said, but it's just, yeah. Yeah. It just bothers
0: me to the day to think about it. You
1: know I mean? There's something somebody could have did there. But, yeah. And I mean, it's kind of, you know, and I'm not, it sound that sounds horrible for me to say it while, while we're talking about that. Um, so I don't mean it in a negative way, but that is when we, when we venture off those roads and we get out into the wilderness, that is the risk that we take as hunters, right? We accept that risk um, when we're walking in the woods I mean, you know, whether be it be it cats, be it uh bears or anything else that Mother Nature decides she's gonna throw at us, you know, weather, fires, whatever it is, man, I mean, we kinda accept that risk as we walk out there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd rather put my hand, I mean, my life in and I mean, we're all in control of our own lives. I mean, kind of. You know, we have a fate in my eyes, but yeah, I'd rather go out and put my life in the hands of mother nature and the animals that are there. You know, I mean, it's just, there's not a better way. And, you know, in that, if something happens, you know, something happens. And I think we're all as hunters and fishermen, you know, just that's, if it happens like that, then it happens like that. It's just like.
1: But there's a level of preparedness that we take too, right? I mean, some more than others. Oh, yeah.
2: You know, oh yeah.
1: One of the hot topics for me lately has been, you know, um, first aid, you know, there's a lot of guys that aren't running anything for first aid in their packs, which blows my mind.
2: That does blow my mind too. You know, I That's, mean, I, mean.
1: I, I'll, I, I don't, I can't get behind it for one. Right. Because for me, it's a, am I going to make it home to my family type thing? So whatever I have to do, and I know I'm putting myself in that position, I need to do anything and everything that I can to ensure that I'm able to re- return home and provide from the, for them. Um, and I think that's part of my deal, like maps, right? I carry paper maps still. Got a couple buddies that give me crap about that. I use, you know, Onyx and, and GPS, things like that, but that preparedness going, hey, I gotta make it home. Um, my family depends on me. This is something that I don't necessarily need to do, but it's something that I love immensely but I have to consider what I'm putting myself up against, man. So not running first aid or, you know, not being able to navigate off of a map. I mean, these are like things that are becoming kind of lost, lost arts to a point.
2: No. Yeah. That's, I mean, first aid is, I mean, I've been, I've had my first aid card and all that stuff since, Yeah, you know, I think I was 17 or something in college. My first, that's what I wanted to, kind of do when i went to school was sports medicine so um first aid is huge you know i had a not really huge incident or nothing to be uh any worried about or nothing but uh, i was actually shed hunting and i was just walking along you know i just had a day pack on nothing nothing but water in there and except for my little tiny first aid pack and we're up you know, Natchez area in Washington here and there's some rocks and stuff like that. And I put my hand out and just go sidehill, hill. And then I slipped and somehow I slight, I slipped my wrist pretty good on this rock and I didn't know about it. I mean, at the time being, I didn't think that I got myself at all, you know? And then about 45 minutes later, I looked down at my, I felt my like something water is on my hand, and my whole, you know, wrist and hand was covered in blood, and I was like, oh, shit. You know, I mean, if I didn't have new skin and all that stuff in my pack, I'd be, you know, who knows? I mean, it's not a big deal, you know. It's not life-threatening, but it could have been. You know, it could have severed that main artery in there, and I could have been toasted, but, yeah, it's just first day. Is, that's huge. Yeah, it's
1: a big deal, man. So yeah. one of the things that uh, we tap on or try to tap on in every episode, man, is I uh, call it the conservation quick um, and the future of hunting. So it's, you know, just a one to two minute little spiel, man, on your view. And it's just to spark a thought process, man, and, and and to share perspective when it comes to conservation, man. So why don't you give us uh, give us some of that?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, conservation is definitely a huge aspect of why we're, you know, able to do what we love so much. And I mean, if anybody can and is willing to get out and do something or, you know, donate some money for even wetlands or, I mean, Ducks Unlimited to Rocky Mount Elk Foundation, anything that will help our conservation is, I mean, very key. I mean, with the uh, public lands and everybody, all the activists doing what they can for that is, I mean, it's it's more than what I've done, you know? I mean, I feel like selfish for not doing more, but I mean, we're all, it's a brotherhood here. So, so, I mean, the uh, Conservation is very you know, key to our success and what we're able to do out here. So, I mean, That's yeah, I mean, deal, thank man. you. The Yeah, it is. It's, it's crazy that people are trying to take away what we have, you know.
1: Uphill, well, I don't know. Uphill battle or not, man, it's still, I, you know, I think it's important that we all, we all play some type of role in that, man. Um, you know, I'm, I got to get better on looking at the numbers and, and really looking at that uphill battle. I think we're making some good ground, but, you know, public land lands, oh, yeah. you know, things like that. I, I think we got a little bit more skin in the game. At least it, it seems like it, right? I don't know. That's outward looking in. Um, so hopefully that we, you know, we keep that, we keep that momentum moving forward. So anything, uh, Anything you want to get in that we missed, man? Anything that uh, you want to get out there?
2: Well, I mean, um, I got n- not too much I want to put in, you know, because there's I'm just an in my eyes every day, you know. I'm just an everyday hunter, I guess. You know, I'm not I'm an average hunter around here, you know. But I mean, to put out there, we my. My buddy Cody Sanchez is uh he's starting his own little call business, so predator calling business. It's called linguist game calls. And it's just I mean, he's being around some people, you know, a lot of people hunting and he's a damn good he professionally in competition calls for goose. He's damn good on on reeds. So he's he started his own little um, mouth call. So I mean, he's he's one of the guys I hunt uh, coyotes with, and he's he's a strictly call guy. You know, he doesn't bring a rifle. He'd rather he gets he gets it with calling. Bring so I mean, he's else. yeah, he 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 loves it, man, and he's very very good at it. And so I mean, here in a couple, I mean, me and our our three other buddies are, including Cody. So it's me, Michael, Mason, and Cody Sanchez. But we're trying to start a uh, a little hunting group as a, just a, I don't know where it's going to go or nothing, but we have a pretty good base. I mean, we all hunt religiously and love it to death, And we're a pretty versatile group as in, I mean, I hunt as much as I can, whatever I can, but I don't really have a specialty, you know, in anything. And Cody's kind of the, he's a very good, he, he can call. I mean, I can call it too, but nothing in that aspect, you know, so. Yeah, some guy's got a
1: knack for that, man.
2: Yeah, he just, you know, I mean, I've, I mean, I've done enough research, trial and error and all that stuff, but he just has it and I, I still look at them sometimes like how the hell, but yeah. So
1: I'm going to just make one final comment, man. So you said, you know, I'm just an average hunter, dude. You are 99% of the hunting demographic, bro. Um, That's each and every one of us, right? That's what's important for me on this platform. We're all, you know, we're all the average hunter, man. We're, we're the, we are the hunting community at large, man. So, yeah we were all
2: brothers man in my it. eyes <laughs> yeah, that's
1: absolutely it man so, you know and
2: that that brings me to another one thing is go for it is how sick sorry man on the words is how uh just how hunters you know why is it that people try to screw other people just to get a piece of meat you know it's a it, i shouldn't say just a piece of meat because you know how much that means to all of us but why screw your brother? You know. I mean, it's just it's just wild to me that. I just hope anybody listening that kind of does that or something kind of opens their eyes to not doing stuff like that. I mean, screwing somebody else over, an animal. Where just go get your own type thing in my eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's it, man. I mean, that's a big statement, right? So, you know, I had that experience uh, arrow to bull um tracked the bull found the bull and somebody beat me to it man you know a guy poached my poached my bull out um did a horrible butcher job you know rushed through it you could totally tell it was rushed took er took everything right didn't he he has some you know he has a rack hanging up on the wall or you know in the shed or something with a bullshit story attached to it right i mean that that is as ugly as it can get you know half the arrows still in them. I, it just, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a big deal, man. That one hits home for me.
2: Yeah. That's, that's absolute, you know, that's just cutthroat out of this world stuff, man. And I, I just don't understand how people would, or some, somebody would do that. You yeah.
0: Know?
1: Well, I, I mean, there's, it's it, just crazy. What's, what's crazy is that that's a hunter that knows what it takes to get that arrow or that round into that animal. And is willing to do that, you know what I mean? And I can't even consider that guy a hunter; he's a freaking poacher. You know, anybody doing oh, yeah. that's a damn poacher. Exactly. You know what I mean? I was going to say that is he's not a hunter. No. He's not
2: like you or me, or any of us. He's he's definitely, a, yeah, easy way out type of a guy, which I don't like. That. No, some like some people hardened.
1: go ape shit crazy for backstrapping antlers, man. But uh, yeah, not part of the community that I know and love.
2: Yeah. <laughs> No,
1: sir. So good deal, man. Well, you know, I uh I greatly appreciate your time. I know that uh we hit this, we talked for a minute and said, Hey, when you when you get landside, man, hit me up, and we'll get on. Um, so yeah, I appreciate you listening to the podcast and supporting it, man. And and it furthermore, getting on and spending your time and telling your story, man.
2: Yeah, man. I I I couldn't I don't even know. This is my first podcast. You know, I've it's it's I was you know like you say cliche it is cliche but I was definitely blessed that you let me get on the podcast you know I mean it's it's awesome I mean I cannot not be happier and it definitely went well and to get out and talk to somebody from a different aspect you know it's always awesome Yeah. and it's funny how when you get hunters together and how they talk and you know, it seems I've never met you, never set eyes on you, There's nothing before like that. I, just, I feel like we, you know, clicked. You know, That's so, it,
1: man, it's it's a brotherhood, man. It's that yeah, brotherhood. Yes, you know what I mean? It's it's an yes, amazing sir. thing that we share, bro. An absolutely amazing thing, man.
2: Yeah, it's wild, man. <laughs> it's cool, man. Yeah, thank you for no, you're welcome for taking interest in. Like I said, my average self, but <laughs>
1: yeah, that's hey, that's all yeah. of us though, man. That's what makes it so great, dude. That's, that's all of yeah. us, you know? So good deal, man. We'll, uh, I'm gonna hit stop here, man. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you, man. Stay in touch. We'll be watching, you know, via Instagram and check out the website and you got anything, just drop me a line, man. You have everything.
2: Yes, sir. All righty. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I'll keep in touch for sure. Yes, sir. All righty.
1: You can catch up with Colby on Instagram at steel underscores horse rider. Head over to westerncontours.com and share your story. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.
2: Hi, this is Weston Jenkins with Disabled Outdoorsman founder of an organization where we choose and let individuals come in the outdoors. We have many people across the nation that refuse to give up, and our brand is going to represent them, and now you can too. You can go to our website at www.disabledoutdoorsman.com, or you can find us on Instagram at disabledoutdoorsmanusa. We want you to be a part of the cause with us, and let's make a difference one day at a time.